first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Rapture 518. With views so never-ending and sunsets so divine, you'll barely even notice the rolling blackouts. Welcome to Rapture. Welcome home. Rapture 518 is a psychological horror story created by Sarah Penn, a pseudonym that is also the name of the show's protagonist. In the story, Dr. Penn, a resident physician, moves into a new and mostly empty apartment building called Rapture at the beginning of a strange outbreak. This new disease turns ordinary people into monstrous sociopaths, and soon the whole country breaks down. But back in Rapture, Isolated and alone, Sarah is struggling with other strangeness in the building, and soon isn't sure if she can trust her own experiences. Sarah Penn, the author, also voices Sarah Penn, the character. The first episode, Penumbra, actually begins at the climax, where Sarah is about to attempt to escape the building. The second episode, Preserved Ejection Fraction, goes back in time, to when Sarah first moves into the Rapture building. I spoke to Sarah remotely from her home in Canada. Tell me a little bit about yourself as an artist and a creative person, in addition to whatever else you might be in your life. I am a Canadian individual who works in healthcare, and I have minimal to no past formalized training in terms of theater. I did several years of vocal lessons at one point in Mm -hmm. time, because I thought that I'd be the next Christina Aguilera, but that didn't pan out. So then I just did the boring traditional things of doing post-secondary school and the sciences. My primary experience with theater is throughout high school and my undergrad degree. I spent a lot of time doing musicals and various theater around the town that I was living in at the time. I used to do a lot of creative writing since I was from 15 onward, but I've never had any legitimate (laughs) training. So I feel like I'm just winging it as we go. What did you study if you didn't study the arts? I'm one of those, my parents say that I have Peter Pan syndrome because everybody else seems to continue to mature and go about the remainder of typical adult maturity, but I just stay in the same area of my life. I did an honors in uh, science-based clinical psychology and then two years of pharmacy, then left pharmacy, went into medicine, did my medical degree, then a specialty in internal medicine, and then subspecialized in a a secondary subspecialty within internal medicine that's in acute critical care. Wow. Um, (laughs) I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, And that's a lot of work. What keeps you in the arts, though? When I was 15, (laughs) I ran away to Detroit. I decided that that's where I wanted to go hang out with people because I really liked them for some reason. And so when I ran away, I started, as all people do who run away, they start playing Dungeons and Dragons. So I started playing Dungeons and Dragons with a bunch of people in Michigan. And I was so blown away by the dungeon master and their ability to come up with these entire worlds and intricacies. And I asked them how they did it. And they said, well, you just make your own world. So I started making my own world. And from there, wrote about that particular universe or 
oh, I don't know, five or seven and maybe eight years just writing books and novels and various things and just putting them away somewhere on my bookshelf and never talking about them again. When I went into medicine, I didn't really have any more free time. So I lost the ability to have that creative intellect, I suppose, that goes with it. And at one point in time or another, I found myself with some time away from work. And this was around the time that COVID started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts in my free time and audio dramas. And I started to think I should write a book. But then I thought, what if instead of writing a book, I wrote an audio drama and then found somebody to do the acting and stuff. And I was like, how hard could it be? Which is everyone's famous last words. (laughs) So (laughs) that's kind of where this ended up coming from. Now it's, I've just been continuing it predominantly out of a primary source of stress relief. It's just nice to use a totally different part of my brain. Well, it's not totally removed from your day-to-day life, right? Um, (laughs) The lead character, Sarah Penn, is a doctor who I think has some of the same kind of qualifications that you do. I'm curious as to why you wanted to write about a doctor when you started. I guess the colloquial thing that people tell you is to write what you know. Yeah. It was almost as a therapy project where I was just writing my own way through a difficult environment because training in medicine is incredibly difficult psychologically and requires a lot of social isolation, completely notwithstanding the pandemic. It was that way before the pandemic and just got worse. And so it was my way of decompressing about certain things. And then I decided that if I was going to write about what I know, then there's not that much difference between the truth and just sort of embellishing, (laughs) like to the nth degree. What does this show mean to you? Can you tell me about the genesis of this story? I had to come up with an idea that was a good launching point, which is where the concept of zombies came in, because zombies is a pretty common theme. The show itself is not actually about zombies at all. It's about (laughs) human psychology. People are much more complicated than the undead. The decisions that people make are so complex and rooted on such intricacies that it deserves talking about and exploring from a psychological perspective which is, I suppose, why I've always thought Rapture is more of a psychological thriller or psychological horror, because it predominantly focuses on human behavior and the progression of why people act and don't act the way that they do or don't do. I've always thought that most zombie stories are really not about the zombies, right? They're about the survivors. They're about the people who have to deal with the breaking down of the world around them and the other people in their lives suddenly becoming these threats. You know, The Walking Dead, I've always said, is not about the zombies. The Walking Dead in the title are the people. The survivors are the Walking Dead. You said that people make decisions differently than zombies do. Um, (laughs) People are much less predictable than the undead. Zombies are very simplistic creatures that basically don't have a prefrontal cortex. They can't make educated executive decisions. So they're based on their primary needs, which is to eat more or less. If you've ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, so like the very base of it is just food, shelter, safety. That's all they have to worry about. People, we just make things so much more convoluted because it's not just about survival. It's about enjoyment and passion and fulfillment and progression and the human species tends to be such scavengers and aggressive and they need to have an us versus them or they need to be able to have groups in order to feel compatible and and worthy and so all of this extra thought that we put in as people 
tends to make things rather complicated. There's just so much to what builds a person and why a person does the things or says the things or thinks the things that they do. And that complexity is not predictable. Mm. And that's the part that I like to focus on is why are these things happening? Why do people make the choices that they do? And what are the repercussions based on the histories that they've had and the experiences that they've had? What happens is apparently perfectly rational and ordinary people slowly become, as Sarah says in the in the show, flesh-eating sociopathic monsters. That they turn this gray color and they start behaving aggressively. And it's almost like an outbreak of anger. Slowly they turn into these monsters, but were completely ordinary people beforehand. I think that's a really interesting twist to the the zombie idea. Well, within the world of Rapture, there is actually two separate types. There's the individuals that you've just mentioned, which are normal people. And then over a period of time, they just continuously deteriorate or change into some kind of deranged format. And that deranged format is more that they become obsessive and perseverant about specific things, almost as if there's something pushing a button in a particular part of their brain that's making them think that way. Like, this is the most important thing. This is the thing I need to do. It's just unfortunate that the thing that is being pushed in their brain is the need to manipulate and destroy. The question then becomes, well, what happens if someone dies? Because really, when we think about zombies, it's the concept of reanimation. And when that person comes back, there's something different. But in this situation, we've got is the thing that had caused them to radically change their personalities over time? Does that thing take over? There really is a fungus in the world that takes over ants' brains and makes them climb up stalks of grass so that they can explode their brains and catch more ants. That's a legitimate fungal infection. Many cats, they have a parasite in them that creates a diagnosis in people of toxoplasmosis. And there's been studies to suggest that people that are cat lovers or people that have cats that have toxoplasmosis are less inclined to think that cat urine smells bad. Like they're, they're more amenable to the bad components or bad traits of cats, which then helps the cat survive and therefore helps the toxoplasmosis survive. There is components of this weird manipulation strategies within Earth. I've always found it funny or weird that people as a species tend to think that we're immune to all of those naturistic components. But who, who made that decision other than people? And then yeah. why? And so like, did we actually make that decision? Or was that a decision that something <laughs> that something else made for us so that we could perpetuate a different species? You started Rapture 518 at the beginning of the pandemic, or at least around then. Is there a relationship between that time period and this particular story about an outbreak? Yes and no. I wasn't very happy in my training program and had taken time away from my training program to reconsider my life choices. Mm. (laughs) When I was reconsidering my life choices, a lot of those decisions that I was trying to make was based on how others treat their, for lack of a better word, subordinates, and whether or not I was comfortable with continuing in that sort of environment and potentially perpetuating it for the future if I was to turn into the people that I was surrounded by. So I started writing in a way to understand why other people would start as innocent, normal people and then progressively become power hungry or manipulative in a business oriented manner as opposed to in an apocalypse manner. Yeah. And then I just took it to the nth degree 
well, if this is what some people do and they do it based on these behaviors and their experiences, then what if there's just a little bit more of a push? What if it's a little bit more severe? Then how does that interact with people who are unaffected by those uh, experiences? Kind of ironically <laughs> or conveniently, then the pandemic hit. <laughs> and, and all of the troubles that you could see within the healthcare system exploded and became so much more prominent the workaholic nature, the need to control when there's things that we can't control, the needs to explain when when we don't have the answer. Those things became so much more prominent that it became easy to write about. Okay, I should introduce myself. For anybody uh, who doesn't know me, uh, and I don't know why you would, uh, as I previously stated, my name is Dr. Sarah Penn. I'm a resident physician, or I was a resident physician, based out of the hospital My training was in cardiology, but I do have a number of years of experience in internal medicine, which basically is a fancy way of saying that I have a whole lot of information in my brain and no idea how to use it to help in a situation that I never thought I would be in. And that situation is the end of the world. Of course. (laughs) I voluntarily took several months of leave off of this job, off of work. And I took that time off, mainly for personal reasons. And because they're personal, and they have, at least, I don't think they have anything to do with what's currently going on in this city. But because they're personal, I won't bring them up today. You said that you wrote this, at least to start with, as a bit of a therapeutic exercise. And you're clearly writing from your own experiences within the healthcare field. The character of Sarah in the show has very similar things happening to her. She's taking time off from work as she moves into a new place. She seems to be struggling as well in some way. I have to ask, is this an autobiographical story? Part of this podcast, I wanted to use it as a point for which I could address the stigma behind mental illness. Have I experienced my own issues with anxiety? Yes. Have I met countless people that work within a similar profession that have had similar issues? Yes. But do we discuss it? No, because for some reason, it seems as though if you're considered externally successful, then of course you're not impacted by these things, which is so untrue. that I wanted to be able to utilize this platform in a unintimidating and unassuming way in order to shed light on the fact that it doesn't matter who you are or what walk of life you're living, mental illness can impact and influence anybody and everyone. Do I have the same particular nth degree version of what I have presented in Rapture? No, but... Mm -hmm. Have I seen very similar things occur? Yes. Yeah. So it's really not that far of a stretch, I guess. I want to talk about the fact that mental health is a recurring theme in the show. Let's use that to talk about the episodes. In the show, the character, Dr. Sarah Penn, is moving into a new apartment. Something happened in her personal life, which is not explained, at least here at the beginning. And she's taken some time off. She moves into this upscale apartment complex called Rapture. She is one of the very few people to actually move in. They're still under construction. 
it's very upscale. It's very high tech. It's got a campus surrounding it. There are other buildings nearby. It's got amenities, but she's really very alone in this place. As the story unfolds and the outbreak begins, she becomes more and more isolated, not only just because she's living in this big spooky place, but also because the other people in the building also seem to be succumbing to the outbreak. But she's also hearing music and the lights in the building are doing strange things. It seems very easy for us as listeners to wonder if Sarah is actually reliable, if that we can count on the things that she's saying to be accurate, or if this is something that she herself is seeing and misinterpreting. She actually says at one point, I'm not 100% certain that I'm not crazy. I have met some previously mild-mannered, lovely people, including the elderly, who have turned their greatest colored color and their niceness has been replaced with sociopathic tendencies as well as what seems to be an insatiable hunger for flesh these people or what is left to these people they do strange things but they're well calculated things they're not to be trusted and it seems as though for a little while they can act like normal people until... I'll give you an example. Because unless I say it out loud, it's really hard to believe. <laughs> and I'm not 100% certain that I'm not just crazy at this point. But I'm pretty sure that the pandemic is not something that I've imagined. Were you writing her as an unreliable narrator? Definitely. Part of it is that as soon as somebody declares that they're a physician, there seems to be an innate sense of trust in what they're saying is gospel. There is also a growing disenchantment with healthcare professionals that has definitely been exacerbated over the last couple of years. A part of me wanted to hone in on the fact that at the end of all of this, physicians are people. And people are flawed. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your job is. You are still predisposed to being the species that you're born as, which is a human. <laughs> and you can't always be right. Sarah is based on, firstly, somebody who sees themselves initially as they are a doctor and therefore they are very objective. They know what's going on. But you can read all the books you want. That doesn't mean that you're going to be able to predict the behavior of everything else as it happens or if everything deteriorates. You just don't know, especially if the deterioration is something that you're less inclined to see, like your own illness. I had an interview with somebody once who had had um, a psychotic episode and they had said to me, it was a friend of mine, they had said, do you see the little girl behind you? And I said, no. And they said, I can. But the difference is, since I started taking medications, that has not changed the fact that I can see the little girl. The only difference is that I know you can't see her too. Yeah. And to have to live with that autocorrect, can you believe what you're seeing? Can you believe what you're thinking? Or should you be second guessing it based on something else, some external source? But what if there is no external source that's there to autocorrect you? Then what? I wanted to make sure that the concept of mental illness is not, there's nothing wrong with you because you have something that's happening that's beyond your control. It is your responsibility, though, to 
be able to address it and to think your way through things if you can. And if you can't, then it's also very important to be able to seek help if help is available. Yeah. And to me, the most frightening component of Rapture is that there is no help available. Mm. I don't know if you ever saw the show Bates Motel. Bates Motel, mainly it's just several seasons of showing how an individual who has a few eccentricities, if not provided sufficient social support, can decline and they can become something awful or they can do awful things. When I watched that show many years ago, I wasn't horrified or scared. I was so saddened by the fact that this individual had reached out for help in whatever ways that they could, but just for whatever reason were unable to obtain that support. And that was ultimately what contributed to their downfall as a person. And I want it to be able to incorporate some of that into this audio drama as well. Okay. While I'm in the process of moving, uh, I concurrently took a leave of absence from my work. I work in cardiology, which is heart stuff. And I started my leave of absence three days ago because I figured I needed that time to pack up all of my things, put them in boxes, get them ready for the movers, and basically been living in a cardboard box and sleeping on my floor ever since my leave of absence. Um, I like to think that it's a rustic way of saying goodbye to a past life that's been a little bit tumultuous and moving on up to a big city life. Yeah, today is the day that I get my keys for the apartment. Today is the day that I officially become a quote-unquote city person. Your first episode is called Penumbra, which I'm guessing has to do with a kind of stroke. And then Preserved Ejection Fraction, which is the second episode, that's a kind of heart failure. Tell me where you got the titles for these episodes and why you wanted to include them. Penumbra, you're right, is something to do with typically an ischemic stroke or a stroke in which an area of the brain is not uh, receiving sufficient amount of oxygen to function. And when somebody has an ischemic stroke, there is a territory or an area that is permanently affected. What you're trying to do when you're treating a stroke is you're trying to prevent that area from worsening. And the threatened area of the brain is the penumbra. The beginning of this show, the first episode of the show, yes, it's the first numerical episode. It's also right at the very end of the season. It's Sarah trying to prevent any further damage from the damage that has already been caused that we later will will learn about. So all of these titles are medical conditions that hint at the themes that are going on within the story itself. Yes, which is why the final episode of the first season is called Transposition of the Great Arteries. If you ever Google that, it is the most complicated <laughs> thing, <laughs> and which is, it's unfortunate with the finale. It took me months to do it because I got, unfortunately, a little bit caught up in my own anxiety troubles. And every time I thought that I had completed the episode, I would listen to it and delete it again. And because <laughs> I just wanted it to be perfect and I wanted it to portray what I wanted it to portray, which is probably one of the biggest issues, I think, as a writer or a producer of audio drama is that attempting to achieve perfection thing just stops you. It's so immobilizing. <laughs> you need to be able to accept that things are not going to be perfect the first time you go through it. And that is okay. <laughs> I think it's interesting you started with the first episode basically at the climax, just prior to Sarah attempting to escape the building. And then you go back in time to explore how she got there. 
talk to me about your choice for starting off the show that way. So I Googled how to write an audio drama. <laughs> and <Okay. laughs> I don't have any official training, okay? <laughs> this is how I do things. So I Googled it and it said, no one cares about the boring parts of your story. So you need to write about something that's going to hook them in for the remainder of the story. And so I said, well, I can't like write at the end because then why would you listen to it? And I was like, but maybe I could write you know, right before the end and then go backwards and just suck everybody in. <laughs> so that's pretty much what led me to do that. Rapture starts off many episodes in before it gets kind of fun and exciting and interesting. There's a lot of character and world building. Like if you're invested in a character and you genuinely want to understand a character, that's great. But if you're just sampling a podcast and you're like, is this something I even want to pay attention to? I don't know. It could be boring, whatever. Then, then you got to, or at least I felt, and the website told me, <laughs> and therefore must be true, that you need to start off with something interesting so that people feel as though they're comfortable being committed to moving forward with the character. Yeah. You want a sense of stakes somewhere in the beginning. The character has something to lose. You know, characters that don't have anything at risk really are not that interesting. Now, that's not to say that Sarah is not interesting early on because there are very subtle things that are happening in her life that you really have to sort of pay attention to, to, to pick up on. I have to say, one of the things I like about Rapture 518 is your portrayal of Sarah Penn. You have a very conversational style. It's very personal. She can be charming and funny, and she can also be very heartfelt. There's a kind of authentic naturalness to the way she talks to us. It draws you in. It makes you care for her almost instantly. How did you approach performing, especially since you really don't have a lot of background in it? That first episode was, <laughs> again, as everything always starts as a famous last words, how hard could it be? I had thought, I'm going to make an audio drama. How hard could it be? And then I was like, well, I don't really know anybody that's into acting. So I guess I'll have to do it myself. How hard could it be? And then so I ended up buying this USB mic off Amazon and was standing in my kitchen. And I was so paralyzed by the, I just couldn't talk in front of the mic, even though there was no one there. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I was like, oh my God, it's too much. I'm too scared. I'm going to do it wrong. But I blindfolded myself. And so like I stood with a blindfold on in the middle of my kitchen, trying to read out uh, this first episode. And I was still so intimidated that apparently throughout the entirety of it, I just kept stepping backwards. So then when I finally took the blindfold off, there was no sound because I was like banging into the window on the other side of the room. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, what? Like, what is my life? <laughs> That's, um, yeah. It's, okay, now I have to ask. So this <laughs> seems like it was a, a really hard thing for you to do. Yeah. What made you follow through? I think I'm stubborn. It's part of it. <laughs> I think yeah. I had a story. I wanted to tell it. And I knew that no one was going to be able to tell it if it wasn't me. And it's either put this story on the shelf with all the fiction books that I wrote when I was in my 20s, or <laughs> put this out for the first time, like something that's creative in order to obtain some form of reception to it. Yeah. I think that that was the scary part, though, is that that's in part why I never tried to publish a book, because I just... It's like, these books are for me. Like, I don't want someone to come in and be like, mm, your writing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so then when, when I made this podcast, I was like, but what if someone's like, mm, this writing is terrible. She's a terrible actress or whatever. So then there was this performance anxiety that is very <laughs> perseverating in my real life. 
And that started infiltrating within this creative area. But I was like, no, <laughs> no, you're doing it. <laughs> you are going to stand here in the kitchen like a crazy person with a blindfold on. And you're going to ball at this Mayono USB mic and hope for the best. I think that that was why. I think I just needed to prove to myself that I could do it. You brought up the fact that you deal with anxiety. I'm mm -hmm. wondering how that impacts your work. The biggest hurdle with my anxiety and podcasting was the first episode in that I had so much debilitating fear that it would not be well received. Mm -hmm. And I thought that my perception of myself was directly correlated by what other people saw or thought of me. Work is one thing and regular day-to-day -day is one thing, but creativity and making creative projects is so intimate that for someone to address whatever intimacy you're providing to the world and just demolish it, it took me forever to get that first episode out because I was just so afraid that someone would rip it apart. Yeah. And it was only when I really came to the conclusion that I wasn't doing this podcast for other people. I was doing it as my own little form of creative escapism. And that's okay. Like it doesn't need to be the most famous and the most loved and, and the most well done. It just needs to be something that makes me happy. Do you ever think about doing the creative thing full-time? I think about it, but I don't think that's what I meant to do. I love telling stories and I'm enthralled by stories in general, but I think my job here is more to listen to other people than to tell other people about my stories. I think that my stories have a role, but other people have things that they want to say with or without words. And I like to be able to provide that ear to be able to hear it. So my current plan is to obtain all the materials I need to make some kind of rope and climb down the balcony of my fifth floor apartment. The inside of the building is way too dangerous. Not that it's safe to abseil your way down a building that's filled with monsters, but it seems to be my best option. So that's the goal. <laughs> I figured before I did that, I would publish these transmissions and hopefully somebody will hear them. And hopefully that somebody is you and maybe I'll meet you when I get out of here. And maybe then we can figure out what's going on. Rapture 518 distinguishes itself in the zombie apocalypse genre in a couple of ways. The first is its focus on psychological themes, on isolation, anxiety, loneliness, and mental deterioration. The second is in the character of Sarah Penn herself, whose honesty, vulnerability, and struggle give her an intimate connection with the audience. You can listen to Rapture 518 on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more details. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. Hold up. 